Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, September 18th, 2022. And today we're going back to the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. One of the stories of the reign of the wicked, evil King Ahab. Now, Ahab kind of has an outsized reputation for his wickedness, in part because he was, in fact, a a pretty bad dude. Also because he married Jezebel, a princess from Sidon, one of the Gentile cities on the coast. And where where Ahab was a bad guy, Jezebel was, um, was completely without scruples. Very evil and and prone to all sorts of of wickedness and violence. Ahab doesn't occupy a whole lot of chapters in 1 Kings 21, though he gets his fair share more than many kings. He uh, he begins his reign of Israel in in chapter 16, near the end of that chapter. That's where he uh, is, is, um, is crowned king. He marries Jezebel of the Sidonians, and the Bible notes, he builds a temple in Samaria, not for God, but for Baal. So one of the first things that that Ahab does is build a temple to a pagan god in Samaria. Samaria has been a place of idol worship ever since the kingdom split in half. Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom, set up a golden calf in Samaria. And Ahab, by by building the temple for Baal there, indicates that um, he's not going to repent of idol worship. In fact, he's going to double down on idol worship for the northern kingdom. So that's the end of 16 in 1 Kings chapter 17, the prophet Elijah appears, predicts that there will be a a drought because of Ahab's wickedness and the wickedness of of the nation. And then, of course, Elijah flees into the wilderness um, and he, 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 uh, he stays by a brook until the brook dries up. And then he flees eventually to Zarephath to a, um, a Gentile town, kind of close to Sidon, actually, kind of Jezebel's home turf. And there he stays with a widow and her son for the rest of the drought. And you probably know the miracles there that, that uh, Elijah um, performs a miracle so that the, the widow's jars of flour and oil never run out and they always have bread to eat. And also when the widow's son grows ill and dies, Elijah brings the child back to life. And that's the first resurrection of the dead in the Bible. So that's 1 Kings 17. Elijah's off. He's fled from Ahab while the, while the drought takes place. In chapter 18, Elijah returns and confronts Ahab. Then he challenges the prophets of Baal to that famous duel on, on Mount Carmel. And though outnumbered hundreds to one by prophets of Baal and Asherah, Elijah wins this duel to the death, and those prophets are executed that day. That enrages Jezebel, who loves worshiping Baal and Asherah. And so Elijah, in chapter 19, flees from Queen Jezebel. And that's where he, um, 
He eventually ends up at, at Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. And there God speaks to him in a still small voice and assures him that there are still 7,000 men in Israel who have not bowed to Baal. There are still 7,000 men who still worship the one true God. Now, in the meantime, Ahab goes to war in chapter 20. He goes to war against Syria, against King Ben-Hadad, and Ahab wins twice. And it's not because Ahab is a great warrior king. It's because God uses Ahab to defeat a king who's worse than he is. The Lord declares to Ahab that Ahab has won these victories by his hand. And he gives to Ahab specific instructions that he must kill King Ben-Hadad when he captures him. However, Ahab does not. He spares Ben-Hadad's life. In consequence, God sends a prophet to Ahab to declare to Ahab that he himself will, will die a violent death in battle because he failed to kill the Syrian king. Ahab is displeased about this, but otherwise, things are going pretty well. The drought is gone. The wars have ended. It's kind of a time of peace and prosperity in the land. But as you probably well know, the devil doesn't take a vacation. He works in times of peace and prosperity as much as he does in times of war and poverty and famine. And so now that Ahab has a chance to relax from drought and battle, he has time to sin in other ways. And in this case, it's going to be the sin of covetousness that leads to murder. So to our story in 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Syria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So this takes place in the city of Jezreel. Ahab has a palace there. There are different um, speculations of why Ahab has a palace there. Some say it's because this is the, uh, the, the winter palace and it's warmer in Jezreel than Samaria during the winter. Some have said this is a summer palace because it's cooler in Jezreel than it is in Samaria during the summer. Whatever the reason, Ahab keeps a palace in Jezreel. And next to the palace is the vineyard of Naboth. Ahab wants the land. So he makes Naboth a pretty good deal. He says, give me your vineyard because I want a handy vegetable garden next to my palace. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its value in money. I mean, that's not a bad deal. I'll buy your vineyard for a good price, or else I'll give you a better vineyard in exchange for it because I want this location. It's actually a fair deal. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. 
sounds kind of terse, sounds kind of rude, and perhaps Naboth wants nothing to do with Ahab because of Ahab's terrible reputation as, as a king. Maybe Naboth wants nothing to do with, with Ahab because Naboth wants to follow the law of God. See, there are laws about vineyards and property for Old Testament Israel. In Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 28, the Lord declares, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. He goes on from there to say, if the land is sold from a family, it must be eventually redeemed, bought back, and restored to that family. Likewise, in Numbers 36, the Lord declares that the inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. So when the land of Israel is apportioned to the different tribes and families, uh, when, when they conquer the promised land, God declares that the families are to keep that land within the family. This explains Naboth's answer to Ahab when he says, The Lord forbid that I, shall, that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. In other words, the Lord, the one true God, not Baal, has given a law where he forbids me selling my vineyard to you because he said that the vineyard, the land, should stay within the family. So it's not just that Naboth doesn't like the deal. Naboth is trying to follow God's word. In fact, um, it, it seems very likely that when God told Elijah a couple chapters back that there were yet 7,000 men who hadn't bowed to Baal, Naboth is one of those 7,000 righteous men. He turns down the offer. What does Ahab do? Verse 4, And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. So Ahab the king responds by sulking. Now, the northern kingdom is a wicked place, but people still apparently know the law pretty well, and this is about not just religion, but this is about property rights. And so just seizing Naboth's land is more than Ahab can do. As king, he can't go around violating the law of God, at least not about property. He doesn't mind idolatry, but seizing property is beyond his abilities. So, he goes home and sulks because Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. That's repeated in verse 4, just to impress upon you that this is what just sticks in Ahab's craw. Now, you can imagine a guy being disappointed for a day that the deal fell through, but he's a king for crying out loud. He's got palaces, he's got properties, He's got a whole kingdom to rule. He should get over it and keep on going. What does Ahab do? We read, he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. He covets what he can't have, 
and, and rather than move on from that, he gives into the sin of coveting to the point where it just gnaws away at its side. He can think of nothing else. She just lays down in bed and won't eat. Kind of expected for a four-year-old, not so much for a king. Enter the wicked queen Jezebel. Verse 5, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. At this point, you've got to think, Jezebel is thinking to herself, you've got to be kidding. This is what you're, you're, you're sulking about? Note also, by the way, that, uh, that Ahab doesn't say all that happened. He just says, Naboth said, I will not give you my vineyard. He forgets to mention the part where um, Yahweh, the one true God, has forbidden the vineyard to be given away. Or that the land is protected by law, by Levitical law, that, that the family is to keep the vineyard. In Ahab's mind, I wanted the vineyard, and Naboth said no, and so now I'm sulking in bed. Verse 7, Jezebel is not much for sulking in bed. So Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelites. So while Ahab still feels some constraints as king, he, he's, he's not going to try to um, get this vineyard because the law forbids it. Um, Jezebel has, has no scruples. She has no qualms about acquiring this vineyard, whatever it takes. And so Ahab apparently gives her the green light and she goes along with her plot. Verse 8, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. This, by the way, indicates to us that, uh, that Ahab and Jezebel are, are no longer in Jezreel. Perhaps they're back in Samaria. But if, if these elders were like living next door, she wouldn't be sending letters to them. But apparently she's sending these documents at distance. So, so Ahab and Jezebel are no longer in Jezreel. But this helps us understand her plot because she writes letters in Ahab's name. She seals them with his seal. When the elders get this, it'd be intimidating enough to receive a letter from Queen Jezebel. But she's not the one who wears the crown. They receive these documents not from her, but from King Ahab because they're in his name and with his seal. And thus says the king... And she wrote in these letters, verse 9, and they heard Ahab, not Jezebel, saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So there's the plan. First, proclaim a fast. Now, a fast is an expression of sorrow. 
It indicates grief over some sin. It indicates an acknowledgement of guilt, a confession of sin. Um, for instance, see uh, the, the fast that is declared in Nineveh in Jonah 3, verse 5. There's another such fast in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6. So as soon as, as the elders of Jezreel proclaim a fast... The first thing the citizens will think is something terrible has happened. Somebody has done something horribly wrong within the city. Now, when um, Naboth is seated um, at, at, at the head of this fast, it will seem like a position of honor that he is there to serve as an example of, of, of how to fast righteously. But the plot is, to bring two worthless men against him. And because everybody's already thinking something terrible has happened, they'll say, oh, these accusations must be true. It is Naboth who has brought about this fast because he has cursed God and the king. Now, according to Leviticus 24, verses 10 through 16, cursing God merits the death penalty in Old Testament Israel. And from 2 Samuel 16, we find that cursing the king also leads to the death penalty. So here, Jezebel, imitating Ahab, is not just using the king's authority as a cover for this murder, but she is using the law of God as cover for this murder. She's going to frame Naboth as one who has cursed the name of God and the king, and then cite the law of God to say he must be stoned to death. It's just remarkable. Using, using God's holy law as a cover for evil, for murder. All right, then, verse 11. And the men of his city, the elders and leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. Seems like a place of honor. Until, verse 13, and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. So the false witnesses, they, they give this false accusation that Naboth cursed God and the king. If anybody knows Naboth and they're skeptical that this is a, a, a fake charge, they're silent because uh, perhaps they're cowed by the threat of violence to themselves. So Naboth is accused. And he's hauled outside of the city and he's stoned to death with stones, dead and gone. Then the elders who received the letter ostensibly from Ahab, they send a letter to Jezebel saying Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. So, even though the letters came in Ahab's name, even though they said, thus declares the king, they know who's behind this. They send the response, the mission accomplished letter, not to Ahab, but to Jezebel. Verse 15, as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, 
Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. Who cares about this law of the land remaining with the uh, the family, says Jezebel. I'll just kill off the, uh, the head of the family, and now the vineyard is yours. Ahab asks no questions. Probably doesn't want to know the details. He knows better than to ask. Um, and even if everybody in Jezreel knows what really happened, every, even if everybody's talking about it, he just goes and takes possession of the vineyard, and now it belongs to him. Up to now, the Lord has really been quite patient with Ahab. Remember, Ahab has set up the, the temple to Baal. He's been up to all sorts of mischief before. Now, however, um, while, while the Lord has declared that, uh, that Ahab will die violently in battle for, killing, for failing to kill Ben-Hadad, now God declares for this sin, not just Ahab will die, but his whole house will be put to death as well. So, of course, there's a huge lesson here that the wages of sin is death. Ahab starts out with the sin of covetousness. He covets his neighbor's vineyard, ninth commandment. Because he covets his neighbor's vineyard, he, uh, he is willing to defy God's law. Well, he's really not. He wants to sulk about it, but Jezebel in his name defies God's law. So you've, you've got the ninth commandment, the first, second, and third commandments broken. By breaking the, the law and, and the authority of the law, the fourth commandment is broken because the king should be enforcing the law, not seeing to it that it is broken. Then Jezebel sees to Naboth's murder, which means the fifth commandment is broken as well. And thus the vineyard is stolen from Naboth and his family. There goes the seventh commandment because false witnesses bore false witness. That's the eighth commandment. So as near as I can figure, all but two of the ten commandments get broken in this short story. Only those um, remain unbroken are thou shalt not commit adultery. Apparently Ahab and Jezebel like each other. And, uh, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. We don't know if Naboth was married. All right. So, so the, the point being, this one sin of covetousness plants a seed that leads to all sorts of other sins. And the wages of sin is death. Explicitly, God declares to Ahab, because of your sin, your entire house is going to be destroyed now. And so Ahab's sins have consequences upon his whole house, his descendants. So there is a, a, a pretty stark lesson here that the wages of sin is death. That's sort of the, the law lesson from this story. There's, there's, there's a bit of, um, there's a shadow of gospel though here too. Because we have Naboth here who is a type of Christ. He is, he is set up on a phony charge. He's an innocent man who worships God falsely accused, he's put to death. This, of course, is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus, the righteous Son of God, who certainly has not bowed a knee to Baal. He is the one true God in human flesh. He is falsely accused. And as Naboth was taken outside the city and stoned, Jesus is taken outside the city of Jerusalem, and he is crucified. 
But remember always that Jesus' death, his crucifixion, isn't, isn't the end. He sheds his blood to save sinners. So he dies for the sins of all, including the sins of even Ahab and Jezebel. Even if they don't repent, even if they're not saved, he still died for them so that they might be repentant, so that they might be saved. And so the Lord, falsely accused, accepts the accusations as if they were his own and dies for the sins of all and for you and me. So God be praised for his kindness that he sent his son to endure such such slander and die in our place. All right, that is a quick look at the story of Ahab's coveting of Naboth's vineyard and Jezebel's murder of Naboth at the hands of others. Um, God grants you his blessing as you meditate more upon this text. God grants you every good gift of your teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.